0: Meaneth this. All right, God. What <clears throat> I hope to make that title meaneth something. Before I'm done today I'm going to let the word of the Lord speak to you What meaneth this? God bless you, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord You really have to understand their predicament In order to understand the work of the Lord and the hand of the Lord on their life we read in the old testament that the lord had appointed a man by the name of Joshua to lead god's people into their promised land for hundreds of years prior to this they had been in egyptian bondage and the last 40 years of their history they had been wandering aimlessly throughout the desert But now the Lord was desiring to bring them to a place of promise. How many know today that it is not God's will to be in bondage? It's not the will of God to be wandering aimlessly through life. Is there anybody in the house that can testify to the fact that the promises of God can pull you out of that place of bondage? Anybody in the house that can testify to the fact that the promises of God can give your life real purpose and the promises of God can give your life real meaning. I've come to tell somebody it's not the will of God to live a life that is less than everything that this book has promised to you. This book has some precious promises in it and it's not just for a few people, it's for everybody. I said it's not just for us that have been in church for a while. It's for everybody. It's for every skin color. It's for every socioeconomic, economic background. It's for whatever side of the tracks you may live on. It's for everybody. His book says this promise is unto you and to your children and to those that are afar off. I thank God for the promises. You don't have to be in bondage. You don't have to stay addicted. You don't have to stay depressed. You don't have to stay struggling. You don't have to keep popping pills. You don't have to keep crying yourself to sleep at night. No, sir. No, ma'am. There's a promise. There's a promise greater than your sickness. There's a promise greater than your problem. There's a promise greater than your depression. There's a promise greater than your pain. Come on, somebody, if you believe it, put your hands together. Give him praise in the house. Woo! Oh, hallelujah. Maybe May be seated, and so here we find all of the Israelites marching toward their promised land, entering into their land of promise, aimlessly wondering now, Entering into their land of promise. But the Bible tells us that there was one more impediment, one more obstacle that they had to cross. Between them and their promise, the Bible lets us know that they had to cross a river by the name of Jordan. The Bible also lets us know that at the time That they made their way to the banks of this river Jordan, that it was at its flood stage. It had completely overflowed its banks, raging water, muddy trees, limbs floating down. But the Lord gave them some instructions, specifically at this moment to the priests tells them, I want you to put the Ark of the Covenant on your shoulders and I want you to walk out into the Jordan River. The Bible says, this is where we pick it up now, Joshua chapter 3 and verse 15. And as they that bear the Ark, so they did what the Lord told them to do. They that bear the Ark were coming to Jordan as they stepped in. And the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water. For Jordan overfloweth all of his banks at the time of harvest. Verse 16, that the waters, now now think with me here, I I, I need your minds for a bit. The waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city Adam, that is Zaretan. And those that came down, the water that came down towards the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, it's talking about the Dead Sea, failed and it was cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. Now, you got to get this. When the priests were being obedient to the Lord's command and they stepped foot into the Jordan River, the Bible says that the waters stood or stopped upstream at a place that was actually quite some distance from where they were. Now, if you'll remember the story of the parting of the Red Sea, when they got to the Red Sea, the Lord simply parted the waters in the middle. Went to the left and went to the right and they marched across. But this is different. Bible says as you read this you'll find that he stopped the waters. It's almost like this invisible hand came down miles upstream and stopped the waters from flowing any further past that point. In fact, but what we need to know is that most biblical scholars tell us that the place that the water was stopped based upon the evidence given to us from scripture was some 15 to 17 miles upstream. Now, you, you got to get this or you, you miss something very important. What you have to also know about the Jordan River is that it is a very winding river. It's not a straight river. It winds back and forth, and back and forth. Therefore, if you're standing on the shore and you look to your left, you could only see a small portion of the river because then it would turn to the right or it would turn to the left. And if you look to the right down the river, you could only see a small portion of the river because it would turn to the right or it would turn to the left and then your view of the river would be obstructed. So now think with me, if the river stopped 15 miles upstream, how long did it take for the, the water that was continuing downstream from the place God stopped it. How many know that water still had to flow? He stopped it. None of this water could go any further, but all of this water could keep flowing. Are you thinking now? How long does it take for a winding river for 15 miles of water to finally course its way down to the place where the priests were standing in the water and the children of Israel were anxiously anticipating the miraculous. And with the river being so windy, they could not see. Come on, Jesus. They could not know that the miracle had already been accomplished on their behalf. They had no idea, Brother Ron, that the hand of the Lord had already worked its miraculous work. They couldn't see it. (laughs) They could not know that it was happening. They just had to keep being faithful to what God told them to do even when it didn't seem like anything had changed at all. Ah. Here's the thing. If they would have only been obedient to the Lord for a short amount of time, and if they would have stepped into that river, and they would have waited five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, looking upstream, Looking downstream. Well, last time we stepped in, the water's parted to the left or to the right. But the water's not doing anything now. And when I look to the left, I don't see any miracle coming that way. And when I look to the right, I don't see any miracle coming that way. I'm looking into the trees, wondering if there's a big breeze going to start blowing. And blow the water apart so we can, I don't feel no breeze. I don't see nothing happening. How many know if they would have said, this ain't working? And stepped out of the river. How many know the miracle would have never come to pass? I feel to tell somebody that it'll be your continued obedience to the word of the Lord. That'll cause your miracle to be made manifest in your life. Here it is. Don't quit just because you've been obedient for a few weeks and it doesn't look like anything's changing. Please don't give up just because you're doing what God told you to do and everything seems to have stayed the same. I truly believe God sent me with a word for somebody and that is this, your miracle is on the way. I said your miracle uh, is on the way. Uh, You might not be able to see it. Uh, You might not be able to feel it. Uh, You might not be able to know it. Uh, You just got to stay obedient uh, until your miracle gets to where you are. Come on, somebody, keep being obedient uh, until the miracle arrives. Uh, Keep being faithful until the miracle arrives. Uh, Keep being a worshiper until the miracle arrives. Uh, Keep being submitted uh, to the plan of God uh, until the miracle arrives. Come on, I need you to get about two or three people and tell them your miracle's on its way. Your miracle is on its way. Come on, say it in faith like you believe it. You're a miracle. Now tell them this. Tell them just keep being obedient. So it was that the priests stayed in their place of obedience unto the Lord. As the Lord had instructed them to do. And the water eventually rolled on by. And left behind it dry ground. On which the people of God could walk over. And it was after this happened. That we read this. Joshua chapter 4 and verse 1. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean, passed over Jordan, that means everybody got across, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, I want you to take 12 men out of the people, out of every tribe. Command ye them, saying, I want you to take, now he's talking to the, these, these 12 men, take you hence. Out of the midst of Jordan. Out of the place where the priest's feet had stood firm. So I want you to go back to where the priests were standing in the middle of that river. Now it's a dry river. And it's a very, when you study it out, it's a very rocky, rocky base to this river. It's not mud so much as it is rock. And he said, I want you to get 12 men and I want them to go to where those priests' feet stood planted firmly in the Jordan River, even when it didn't look like the miracle was happening, and yet they stayed. And I want those men to get a stone apiece, get 12 stones, and you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge tonight. So, Joshua, verse 4, called the 12 men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe of man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark, the Lord your God, into the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of stone upon his shoulder. So, these were not small stones. You had to put them on your shoulder. There's a message there, I just couldn't figure out what it was. Put a stone upon your shoulder according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. This is going to be 12 men, 12 stones. Verse 6, here we go. The crux of the message today. That this may be a sign among you. That when your children ask their fathers in times to come. Saying... What do these stones mean? What meaneth this? Then you shall be able to answer them. You better have an answer. The answer is this that the waters of Jordan were cut off. Before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, when it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel. Somebody say forever. And the children of Israel did as Joshua commanded. So what was the point of these 12 men picking up 12 stones in order to build them a memorial unto the Lord? The point was this. Hear me now closely. At that moment, everyone was well acquainted with the miraculous power of God. They had just seen it with their own eyes. All 600,000 or a million or however many children of Israel there were, they had just seen God stop a river. I mean, it's, that's a pretty cool thing. Can you imagine seeing something like that? Witnessing something like that? It was a miraculous thing. Everybody saw it. Everybody knew it. Everybody was talking about it. They were first-hand witnesses, eyewitnesses of this miraculous account and yet what we also know is this. Time has a way of marching on. And days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months and months turn into years. And if we're not careful, hear me, and if we're not intentional, the stories of God's might and the narratives of God's power can be forgotten. Today's baby dedication should be a reminder to us all that we need to keep in mind the fact that there's always going to be a next generation that were not present when the Lord did for you what He did for you. Who? They didn't see it. They were too young to know about it. When the Lord instructed them to take these stones to make a memorial, hear me. We see the fact that God was very much concerned about the next generation knowing of his power and being aware of his might. Come on. And the way he set it up for them to know was for the elder generation to be intentional about showing the next generation. He established for the elder generation to be purposeful in the teachings of the next generation. Somebody said, Amen. I hope we understand that this church is only one generation from extinction. Just one. It don't take three. We're one generation from closing the doors. Because if we do not pass along the faith to the next generation, we have failed in our most important task. Therefore, we must tell them what God has done for us And then we gotta tell them again. And then we gotta tell them again until these stories are tattooed on their souls. We must tell the next generation of a God that answered our prayers in time of trouble. We must tell the next generation of how Jesus rescued us from a life of sin. We must tell the next generation of the amazing things we saw the Lord do with our very own eyes. We've got to tell the next generation uh, there really is only one Lord, uh, one faith, uh, and one baptism. Uh, It doesn't matter what anybody else says. uh, That's what the book says. uh, And there needs to be some elders uh, that are willing to be intentional uh, about passing that along uh, to the next uh, generation. We gotta tell them again. We gotta tell them again. So please hear me today, parents. Please hear me today, those of us who've been saved for a bit. Our praise and our worship unto the Lord should be on such a level that the next Generation is forced to ask what meaneth this? The book would teach it to us like this. Psalms chapter 145 and verse 1. Song of praise, O David. Let me give glory to you, O God, my king. And blessing to your name. Not just when I feel like it. Not just when everything's going well. Not just when I'm, everything's good and I got money in my pocket. No, I'm going to bless your name forever and ever. Every day. Good days and bad days. Sorrowful days and happy days. Every day I'm going to give you blessing. Every day I'm going to praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His power may never be searched out. Now watch verse 4. One generation after another will give praise to your great acts and make clear the operation of your strengths. I want you to notice the way God set it up for the generation to give him praise for his mighty acts is that they first see it modeled to them by the previous generation? That's the way God set it up. If you want your child to be a worshiper, you need to be a worshiper. Don't expect your child to dance and run and clap and sing. If you don't dance and run and clap and sing, the way God established it is this. One generation is gonna pass it down to the next generation. Mamas, Daddies, grandmas, grandpas, hear me. There needs to be some children looking to you. There needs to be some grandkids looking at you. Say, Grandma, what meaneth your worship? Why are you doing that? Daddy, why are you doing that? Why is your tie all messed up? Why is your hair all messed up? Why are you running and shouting and giving God praise? What does it all mean? One generation to the next and the one to the next. And that's how God established for it to be. The next. You know it's easy. It's easy to amen it when the pastor's preaching about it. It's another thing to do it when you don't feel well. There's enough people that will abandon this kind of point in a service like this. But what we need is some people that will actually do it. The next generation should be asking, why do you weep in the presence of the Lord? Men... It is not less than manly to weep in the presence of the Lord. It is not less than manly to worship and sing praises unto God. David played a harp and wrote songs. I'm not telling him that he's less than a man because there's a little thing about him fighting a bear and a little thing about him defeating a lion with his bare hands. You go tell him he's less than a man. We need some men that understand it's manly to worship God. So we need some men that understand it's all right to weep. In the presence of almighty God. It doesn't make me less than a man. It makes me a man after God's own heart. I don't care what society says about my manhood. All I care about is what God says about my manhood. Oh, we need some dads that know how to sing. We need some dads that aren't afraid to stand and lift their voices unto the God of their salvation. We need some dads who aren't afraid to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. The next generation should be asking, why do you shout when the glory rolls in? Next generation should be asking, why do you dance? The anointing of the Lord begins to roll out of you like streams of living water. The next generation should be asking, why do you fall on your face in awe of the holiness of Almighty God? God forbid that the questions our kids ask us is why mom do you just sit there when everybody else is worshiping? Their question should not be why are we not being obedient to scripture at home like what is being taught at church? No, no. Their questions should be centered around why are we so exuberant in our response to the presence of the Lord and in response to the goodness of God and why are you being faithful to the word of God even when it doesn't look like it's working out in your favor? Why are you still faithful? Why are you still committed? Why are you still dedicated to the things of God? What meaneth this? Not only that, but the next generation should be asking us why we make the house of the Lord such an integral part of our lives and such an integral part of our schedules. God forbid On Sundays, especially, that our kids have to come into our bedroom and wake us up to go to church. God forbid that our kids come to us at church time and ask, Mama, are we going to church today? God forbid. God forbid. There should be an understanding that those questions never have to leave the lips of our children. If they do ask, it should be this. Mama, I know you don't feel real well. Why are you still making your way to the house of the Lord? If they're going to ask a question about our faithfulness, let it be those questions. And not the other. I just lost a few of you. The next generation should be asking mama, daddy, grandma, grandpa, elders. Why do you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? What did he do for you to make you love him? So much. These are the questions we should be hearing. What meaneth your dedication? What meaneth your consecration? Why do you love him like you love him? Why do you serve him like you serve him? What did he do, Mama? What did he do, Daddy? What did he do? I don't know. I wasn't there. I need somebody to tell me. I need somebody to show me. I need somebody to model. I need somebody to teach me of the goodness of Almighty God. What meaneth this? Why do you put God first? Why do you put the kingdom of God first? Why have you chosen to give to the Lord of your time, your talent, and your treasure? Our dedication to the things of God should cause our children to want to know what the Lord did for us in order for us to be so dedicated and in love with him. I want the next generation to hear me right now. I want every guest. I want every visitor in the room to hear me very clearly right now. I don't live this way worship this way act this way believe this way and live out my life this way because I'm forced to or because I have to or because I've been made to do it or because it's my job I have not been brainwashed into following after some man-made dogma or belief. I am not simply living this way out of mere tradition. I'm not living this way because it's how I was raised and it's the only way I know to live. I want to be very clear to the next generation today. I live this way because I Choose to live this way. I could live however I wanted to live. If I wanted to, I could walk out those doors and go right to a bar, go right to a whatever. I could do whatever I wanted to do because God gave me a free will. But I love this and I live this because... I choose to. I love serving the Lord. There's no other life. There's There's no other life I'd rather live. There's no other way I'd want to conduct my life. I'm glad to be a born again apostolic, tongue-talking, holy living, saint and child of the I am what I am, not because of my daddy. I am what I am by the grace of almighty God. That's why I am what I am. Come on, if that's the way you feel, put your hands together. Give him a shout of praise in the house. Nobody's making me do this. Nobody's forcing me to live holy. I want to live holy. Nobody's forcing me to live like this. I want to live like this. Why? Because I want to please my heavenly father. <laughs> Woo. <clears throat> I would like to allow my closing remarks to be some storied stones that I will attempt to use to build a memorial for why I love Jesus so much. You can stand or you can sit. doesn't matter to me. Because at the tender age of five years old, I repented of my sins. I was baptized in the name above every name and I felt the precious feeling of what it's like to have the king of all kings take up residence in my life as I was wonderfully and miraculously filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. I've told you the story before but I'm gonna keep telling it as a memorial. I serve him. At the age of seven or eight, swimming all by myself, Kentucky Lake, I started to drown. Nobody around to help me. Deeper and deeper and deeper, I slowly sunk to the bottom or getting closer to the bottom, seeing the sun filtering through the green water, getting darker and darker, no strength left in my body, Water completely filled my lungs only to have an unseen hand. I don't care if you believe it or not. An unseen hand come up behind my back. Push me to the top of the water. Push me to the shore. I coughed and coughed and coughed and rubbed my eyes. And when I got all, my, got all the water out of my lungs and got my eyes clear to where I could see, there was nobody in the vicinity at all. You've come too late to tell me I shouldn't love him. I should have died when I was seven years old. But he had a purpose for me. And he had a plan for my life. And I gotta be thankful, and I've got nothing but praise and worship and honor. I love him. I love him. I love him. I love him. Because when the doctor told my daughter she was hearing impaired and that she'd probably have to have hearing aids the rest of her life, it was the Lord. That stepped in and completely healed my daughter's ears. You've come too late to tell me he's not a good God. You've come too late to tell me he's not a miracle worker. You've come too late to tell me that he's not good to his people. I don't live this way because I have to. I live this way because why wouldn't you want to? I know this is all real. I will remember the time I prayed for a couple that the doctors told repeatedly they could not have a baby. And just a little after a year after I prayed for for them, the mother gave birth to a healthy baby girl. Come too late. I serve him. And I love him, not just because of the miracles. If he didn't ever do one more thing for me, I'd still love him because he's already done so much. But I live him for him and I serve him because I know what it's like for a doctor. look at me with that look of concern and tell me that my precious wife has cancer in her body. And then for us to begin to pray and to have the Lord miraculously heal my beautiful wife and cause every cancer cell to disappear from her body. Live how you want to live, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord because he's been too good he's blessed my home he's blessed my marriage he's blessed my family he's blessed my health he's blessed my finances I'm a blessed man I'm going to serve the Lord stand to your feet all across this auditorium I close I close with this He's not just a truth. He has been my truth. He's not just a provider. He's been my provider. He's not just a savior. He is my savior. He's not just a healer. He's been my healer. He's not just a redeemer. He's been my redeemer. I'm not talking about a place of theory. I'm not talking about a place of some antiquated something or other. I'm talking about knowing the Lord has absolutely blessed me, has absolutely healed me, has absolutely redeemed my soul. It has been the Lord I'm trying to set some stones for the next generation. It's been the Lord that has seen me through every trial. It's been the Lord that's seen me through every storm. It's been the Lord that's helped me through every dark time. It's been the Lord that has led me through every confusing state I've ever gone in. if it had not been. For the Lord on my side. Lift your hands all across this auditorium.